When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot mic underway. Friday edition is here. Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hudden with Rogue. Glad you're with us at Outkick. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hudden. Have you ever put a cough drop in and immediately realized you have nowhere to put it? Oh, there's a skill to this. I think I've perfected it. What do you do? Do you put it on a piece of paper? No, I keep it in. You can hide it behind your mouth? Yes, I, there's a spot I can... Right behind your uh, your... What if I did this? Like last row of, last tooth in your upper mouth. That's where I, I can't it. do it. I can't do it. Oh, now that, I feel oh, great. Hang on. You're talking about the big. Uh, yeah, a cough drop. Yeah, the halls. I said a cough drop. I wasn't talking about like an Altoid. Well, they're different. You can now get halls in like a really? reduced size. Yes. This is new technology to me. Right. You learn something every day on like Hot Mike, guys, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's like a diet So coat. long, everyone. Have a great weekend. That'll, that concludes our show today. There are small cough drops I didn't even know existed. Until now. I'm going to find those cough drops. Thanks to Jonathan Hutton. Does the sign behind you say wanted, dead, or alive? I'm just now seeing that. Look to your other way. I'm just now seeing this behind you. That's a new addition. Oh, I'm, yeah. Did Matt or Davey do that? Do you think that Matt could possibly paint that sign? I could see Matt, someone who's into like calligraphy <laughs> in some way, but he goes home. Does he like trace it out and then spray paint it and bring in signs? He's never off. I'd love to watch a YouTube video of Matty Ice just creating signs for the studio. A new sign every day. That's the goal of the studio. New hey. sign, new energy, new vibe, new name to the show. Same two losers in here talking to you every day. And we've got plenty of guests that will prop up the next three hours as they go by fast for you on this Friday afternoon. Nick McDevitt is the head coach of Middle Tennessee State. They are the last team to beat Florida Atlantic on this incredible run of a team that's 35-3 and on the season, now in the Final Four. Nick McDevitt will join us in about 20 minutes. Looking forward to the conversation on how you beat the Owls. Because I have predicted that they will lose every game in this tournament, and now I'm on the side of Florida Atlantic advancing to the championship game on Monday. Uh, Coach McDevitt joins us uh, in the first guest spot of the show, Chad. Looking forward to that. Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus. He is the lead draft analyst. Anthony Richardson hit the top of the indoor practice facility. And somehow that is remarkable to everyone. He also did a backflip. Despite, despite his completion percentage last season for the Florida but Gators. But Hun, did you see the backflip? We, we will discuss this with Mike Renner, among other things, including there is all of a sudden a drop for Will Levis in the NFL draft, quarterback discussion, and much more with Mike Renner in about an hour and a half. Armando Salguero joins us as his trip back home was delayed from the NFL owners' meetings. He's back with us today. Plus, Riley Gaines, SEC champion, SEC record, record holder in swimming. She joins us in studio in the final hour today, jam-packed. Matt just walked in, by the way, so he didn't hear us talking about his work in calligraphy, that he made the sign back here. Chad, 
I loved opening day yesterday based on a couple of things. Number okay. one, the time of the game compared to last year's opening day. Last year, three hours and 16 minutes on average for the opening day of Major League Baseball. Now, I'm assuming they're doing this based on like the, the average time of when the opening day was for any game because it was staggered, right? Yesterday, it was not. Yesterday, though, two hours and 49 minutes. I think that rises a bit as the season progresses because I think the umpires were overzealous a bit with the, the timing of things, but I like the fact that the pitch clock, no shift, you had the, the, the no third throw over, which definitely benefits a guy like Ronald Acuna, who's at first, and after the second throw over, he's like, that's two, right? Yeah, he takes off and gets second base on a free pitch and a free steal for Acuna. And that will play a factor in runs on the board moving forward. I liked what I saw. Um, Otani, 10 strikeouts in six innings. Now, the problem is the narrative of what we have discussed with Shohei Otani. He had 10 strikeouts in six innings, and the Angels lost. And that's the issue with the, the world's best be baseball player on a team that can't win with the two guys who are the best at what they do in Otani and Trout. Aaron Judge, second pitch, first swing, home run. Yankees win easily, 5-0. And then you have uh, uh, injury to uh, Verlander, but other examples of guys on the injured list. Adam Wainwright singing the national anthem. Very cool. I like the opening day where every team had a chance to play and uh, made the headlines for Major League Baseball where normally on opening day you have one to three games and then finally you get around to the series opener for everyone. The Otani performance was incredible. And you mentioned their loss, not just a loss, a loss to the Oakland A's who are dead last in payroll. When I went through the 30 teams in Major League Baseball, they are dead last in what they pay their players. It's one game out of 162. I'm not trying to jump to any big conclusions. But if you're looking for the embodiment of two different situations on yes. opening day, it's this. Otani is brilliant. Ten strikeouts, looks great. He's ahead one to nothing when he leaves the game. They lose two to one to the lowly Oakland A's on day one. And then go to New York, where in Queens, you have the Mets losing their game to start the season. And no, they won the game. They lose Justin Verlander to start the season with a terrorist major injury. And the Yankees doing very Yankees things when you look at the history of those two franchises winning their opening game, Aaron Judge going deep. It felt like, and I think the Mets are going to be just fine, and they're going to be great this year with that payroll and the talent on that roster. But the Verlander news felt like this sneaking bit of doom for that Mets franchise, given their history. Yeah, but the hype is there based on the owner. Cohen, to me, is a winner, and he's spending like it. Yeah, he wants he, he wants to go all out. I respect that. Me right? Too. If you're yeah. if you're ready to spend three hundred and thirty six well, million, I think it is on his payroll, and you want to go all in on winning, and you're not as concerned about savings or profit in doing so, he's doing nothing wrong. Well, but he's doing what every single fan base what they hope their owner would do. Yes, and, uh, and he's look, doing many, the opposite of uh, most aren't capable. But in Cincinnati, they are capable of doing more than what they're doing. The appetite. They're doing the very least possible to make profit. 
so the athletics, where are they going to end up? That's the big question, right? Their owner... Vegas is my guess. Yes. Their owner is not spending anything. And the same would go for the Angels, right? The Angels, they are not going to send their radio crew on the road. And they're doing everything, you know, from home, from a studio. This all happened starting in COVID. I'm surprised more teams haven't done this. Because believe it or not, the billionaires who own these teams in any league don't care about the broadcast crew as long as you have the, the rights being paid across the board and you can get the message out to your fan base through the team and not travel them with your, your team and not have to account for them with the hotels and everything. The two hundred fifty grand or whatever it would account for for this crew on the road for the Angels this season, Chad, I mean, it, that's you know pennies to a billionaire. That's, that's something they'll even notice probably well they notice there are owners who worry about keeping the lights on at night not turning lights off in 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 offices at a team facility this is another example of that and the question would be are they going to have the money to keep otani i hope not but probably i mean the, he is worth upwards of five billion dollars and yeah i uh, comparing that to this news that they're not traveling their radio team i don't find it uh comparable because Otani is very significant to the value of the franchise. The radio broadcast is an afterthought nowadays, unfortunately, despite radio being a great conduit for baseball, period, on, on the broadcast uh, side of things. I, I would love to call baseball on the radio, and uh, I think many people enjoy listening to it. I turn on Sirius and try to find different games all the time if I'm driving. Uh, apparently, Marino is is fine with that as long as they're not on the road. Well, it's, it's there's a, a shocking market, there's too. a shocking lack of care given by a lot of ownership groups or owners in general, just because they don't feel like it affects their bottom line. Ultimately, like you said, it's about the rights; it's not about the broadcaster. And I would argue that the right TV crew, the right radio crew for your games gives you so much value for sure as a franchise and fans of your team identify so strongly with those broadcasters that owners I don't think fully comprehend that part of it and to not want to shell out $250,000 for travel for away games for your radio crew seems very short-sighted to me for a team that while I think they're going to sell and this is not a long-term deal with Artie Moreno with the with the Angels. They're definitely trying to go for broke this year on the field with Trout and Otani. And, and I just it, the human cost of it to not have your radio team on the road Especially with the team with, with Otani. calling games. It just it feels so small. Yeah, it's just such a small decision by the Angels to do this. Yeah, to so, not travel your radio team. They're calling it from Angel Stadium, regardless if they're home or on the road. Chad, uh, transitioning to basketball, and we're going to have uh, Nick McDevitt on from Middle Tennessee, the last team to beat FAU. Dusty May, head coach of the Owls, staying with FAU on a long-term contract, five-year extension that will pay him more than a million dollars per season. Significant because FAU is paying him this year 350000 That is a big bump. Where's that money coming from for a program that gets around $2 million from the athletic department annually? 
It's coming from their move to the AAC next season. Conference USA dishes out about $500,000 per year for the broadcast rights to CBS or CBS Sports Network, whoever's dishing Their member out. schools get that. Yeah, every year. In the AAC, with the new contract moving forward, because they've expanded to 14 football-playing teams, they will now get around $6 million, a little over $6 million per year off of that television rights contract. That's why FAU can keep a coach like Dusty May, who says he was contacted by search firms uh, in February, just gauging interest with agents about, hey, who's interested, who's not. He turned down every interview offered to him because he would prefer to stay at a place where, quote-unquote, it's ours. We've built this up over the last five years. We want to keep this going. And, oh, by the way, they're getting $6 million plus for the TV rights. It's adding more teams to the bucket and markets that TV companies, broadcast streaming companies are going to pay for. I love this, though. For a, for a tournament that many are saying, hey, don't worry about the Final Four. No one's going to watch. This is a reason to love it even more that a, a program like Florida Atlantic can keep a coach that in their second time in the field of 68 makes a run to the Final Four and that guy's not leaving for any of the openings that have been open over the last month or so. Jump on board with this instead of agreeing to not watch based on what columnists are saying. I immediately thought about Brad Stevens at Butler when I thought about Dusty May in this extension because the prevailing thought with Brad Stevens when he had all that success at Butler was, okay, he's going to bolt for a big program. Right. And then it was, you know, well, think about Brad Stevens at North Carolina or think about Brad Stevens here. Or as the list started to narrow, you said, well, maybe he's only going to leave for Indiana because he's an Indiana boy. He might go coach mm -hmm. the Hoosiers. Then he goes to Boston Celtics, which was a big surprise at the time. But you think, okay, that is the one of the two banner organizations in the NBA. Makes a ton of sense. Is Dusty May that guy? That he has a list of one or two jobs he would leave for now I, that they're in the AAC? I don't know I yet. I don't think so. So I take this news with a heavy side of skepticism. Well, hang on. Because I would like to see what the buyout has done. With this, if he leaves, I'm willing to bet there's no penalty. But he's also the coach that just admitted to the nation that upon taking the gig and talking to the team in the locker room at Florida Atlantic, he went to his wife privately and cried and said, I don't feel like I'm ready for this. I've made a massive mistake professionally. It, I need to, I, I felt but, like resigning. Okay, it wasn't just about not being ready, though. It's about playing in that decrepit gym they still play in. Well, and maybe that's changing. I don't know what their construction plans are, but and they're getting new facilities. But, but if you look a, at those coaching a program without expectation, yeah. But if you look at those, you know, photos of here, this is amazing that a team with this gym is in the Final Four. Is incredible. It With looks no like a high school gym. Their home attendance was awful. Where they play at FAU looks like a high school gym. And that this team's in the Final Four. It's pretty remarkable. Look, he may be the guy that... I, mean, I believe him when he says, I love Boca Raton. My Who family wouldn't? loves it there. I like coaching there. I like living there. I, I get all that. Maybe he's there for the rest of his life. I, I don't think so. I do well, think there will be an opportunity that comes fair. around where he's going to leave... But I'm going to put him in the category. It's not just a, 
well, Penn State offered, and they're in the Big Ten, so I guess I'll go there. Or a year from now, you know, Oklahoma State offered, but it's not even and they're about in the Big Twelve, so it's, I'll go there. They they were reaching out, search firms were just to put him in the pot in February. But what I'm no. saying is, I think there's going to be a select one or two jobs. Yeah, if Indiana comes calling, if the power conferences, not just power conferences, I he's not going to go to Penn State. This is what I'm trying to break down here for you. Brad Stevens got to the point where he was turning down so many jobs in the Power Five that it came to the point where you said, okay, he's only taking Indiana. And then he didn't take Indiana. He went to the Boston Celtics. Maybe Dusty May is Brad Stevens. Because Penn State didn't interest him. These other low-level Power Five jobs, I don't think will interest him. Will Indiana? Probably. Would North Carolina coming open offering? I think you'd have to listen to North Carolina. Would a UCLA, would other big programs do the same? Maybe. Or maybe he's being serious, and this is a you know, long-term commitment to FAU, and he's going to build them into a national power. Do we think he can build them into a national power? Well, the way Gonzaga became a national power. Xavier, Butler for a time. In the AAC, yes. But, to your point, you have to pour more in than $2 million a year for the program. And traditionally, they have poured money into football. Lane Kiffin went there for a reason. They paid him. They, have, they pay their football coaches, not their basketball coaches. Now it's the other way around, it seems. Chad, the Final Four uh, in Houston. Well, it's massive at NRG Stadium. We saw a photo of the court. And coming up, we'll get into that with the, the matchups, the ratings, and columnists who are saying, hey, don't worry about watching. But for what's going on off the court, not on the court in the matchups. We'll hit that, plus Nick McDevitt when we return. The last team to beat FAU for a 35-3 and squad that's now in the Final Four against San Diego State. Nick McDevitt, head coach of the Blue Raiders at Middle Tennessee, joins us next right here on Hot Mike. Happy Friday to you. Hot Mike rolls on across the Outkick Network. Final four tipping off in Houston tomorrow. The last team to beat Florida Atlantic was Middle Tennessee. And the head coach of the Blue Raiders, Nick McDevitt, joins us across the Outkick Network. Coach, great to uh, have you back on the show and uh, hope the final four is treating you well there in person. Yes, sir. Appreciate you having me. Uh, things are going uh, pretty well so far. Obviously, you got lots of meetings and, uh, you know, those kind of things down here. But uh, looking forward to, to seeing the games tomorrow afternoon as well. What has this run been like watching this as a, a conference foe makes the run to the Final Four? And it's also a team that you've had success against. You know, uh, uh, kind of mixed emotions all at once. Uh, I'm... I'm Obviously, first and foremost, just happy for Dusty and his team and his program. Uh, you know, to, to have a run like this is uh, pretty incredible, pretty remarkable what they have done down there. But this is something they've been building towards over the last several years. Um, you know, the, a run like this doesn't just happen uh, in a month's time or over the last couple of weeks. They've, they've continued to build and get better, and they've been able to uh, retain the majority of their players and, um, you know, it's really been fun watching uh, 
their their success and at the same time just knowing how close that that we too are to uh you know being one of the better teams in, in the country and uh you know having success against one of the best teams in the country uh you know you look at what conference usa has done uh this year uh, and you look at our ken palm rankings we're the 10th best league in the country uh outside of fau's run to the final four and saw North Texas and UAB play each other last night for the for the NIT championship, and uh, Charlotte's already won the CBI. Uh, so uh, our league was very strong. We too were invited to that CBI tournament um, and just had to turn it down, unfortunately, with uh, so many injuries to our players. But our our league was really strong, and I think that's uh, in part what has uh, helped FAU uh, with with this run. It's just having to play against uh, really really good teams all season long. Nick McDevitt, the head coach of Middle Tennessee, with us here on Hot Mike. And, Chad, the closest game by far in the Conference USA tournament for FAU was Middle. Blue Raiders lost by three in that game. Prior to that, their last loss was February 16th, where Middle Tennessee beat FAU at the time, ranked, what, uh, 25th, 24th of the country, by four, 74-70. And, Coach, the best teams in terms of their coaching, you can tell the personality of the head coach, the way the team plays. They mimic that personality. How would you describe Dusty May and the way his teams play for him? I think they're tough. I think they're um, steady. And that that's the thing that I think uh, has really stood out to us as a staff as we prepared uh, each time to play them this year is – to me, watching them, no matter whether they're at home or on the road, on a neutral site, ahead, behind, uh, they look like the same team, uh, game in and game out. They just don't get rattled uh, when they're behind. They don't look like a team that uh, the the gravity or the emotion, the stage is too big for them. Um, you know, you, you can you can put yourself in those shoes last weekend and you're playing in the sweet 16 game and then the elite eight game in Madison square garden for the right to go to the final four. And they look like a confident bunch. And I, I think that's in large part because they are an old group and they're old together. You know, their staff has been consistent, uh, their roster, their players have been consistent. So they're not just an old group. Uh, they're old together and they look like a group that's really, comfortable with themselves and each other uh, they know each other they know what they're good at and what they're not good at you don't see them really get out of you know you, you don't see them get away from the things that uh, they do game in and game out you just rarely watch them it's like man what was what's he thinking you know what, what kind of pass was that or man they're taking some bad shots right now uh, they just don't do that and um, you know they're just kind of a a steady team and a confident bunch right now. And, uh, you know, here they are just a couple of wins away from uh, winning the national championship. Coach, it's rare to see a program at the level of Florida Atlantic to see the head coach make a run like this and not jump to the next position, the next head coaching opportunity and climb the ladder. Um, what does it mean that FAU is investing in Dusty May and the fact that he's staying with the program because he's also invested time there in Boca Raton? Yeah, I think it says a lot on both sides. Uh, 
the, the, the commitment level that the university and the athletic department has made towards him and his staff and, and that program. Uh, you know, look at some of the numbers that they've been tossing around uh, that I've seen over the last couple of days as far as, um, you know, the resources they're going to put into facilities, but also uh, the, the, the salary that they're going to uh, put towards him and his staff. I think says that they really, really want Dusty May to keep leading their program, and for him too, uh, to to your point, to stay there when uh, you know you as as you alluded to, uh, a guy making a run with his team to the Final Four usually leads to you know the the typical uh, Power Six job, Power Five job, and uh, and they're gone. And so I think it says a lot about his trust in his administration. And, and the vision that they they clearly share for where that program can consistently get to. And, uh, you know, kudos to them. I know that's been a lot of hard work for their athletic director, um, you know, White and and, uh, and Dusty and his staff. Nick McDevitt with us. I, I, I'm curious, Coach. I look, I was going to ask, can they win a national title? They a- absolutely can't. Any of these four teams can. But what would it mean for either Florida Atlantic or San Diego State to actually win the tournament, win the championship for programs across the country that are looking for momentum in the portal or through NIL or a combination yeah. of all of that? Yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, there, there's got to be belief there uh, for it to happen. You know, George Mason made that run 17 years ago. Uh, Loyola has made the, their run, VCU, from the first four to the final four. Uh, Wichita State, and now you got a team out of the Mountain West in San Diego State and a, a team out of Conference USA in Port Atlantic in the Final Four. So one of those two teams is going to be 40 minutes away uh, from, from winning the national title. And, you know, again, I think it just shows uh, that it's possible. And, and you've got to be dreaming those kinds of dreams and thinking big that way in order for something like that to come to fruition again. Uh, those, the runs by each of those teams that I just mentioned in those years, that didn't just happen over the, the course of a couple of months. Uh, the, the, the support from your community, your boosters, uh, the investment from your players, your staff, your administration, uh, you know, being able to keep up with your competitors and your colleagues from a, a uh, now an NIL standpoint, but a facility standpoint, a staffing standpoint, uh, that that's a that's a lot, and um, you know I think it just shows that uh, when when all of those things are you know kind of uh, rowing the boat in the same direction, that that some big things can really happen. How would you describe the final four matchups, and how does FAU match up with San Diego State with a chance to advance? Well, uh, you know, just knowing FAU, obviously they they really take care of the basketball and got uh, a lot of guys that can shoot it. They're going to play a nine-man rotation, game in and game out. Uh, two of those nine are going to be the two centers, and Goldine and Rosado, and the other seven are are really uh, typical guard size, six foot to six three, and they can all shoot it. And uh, on the flip side of that, uh, San Diego State is really known for how tough and rugged and physical and how well they defend. And uh, you know that'll be an interesting thing to watch tomorrow, particularly for a team that. Uh, shoots about 37% from three in FAU and uh, all those other, the, the, the cumulative guys, you know, those seven shoot it somewhere between 33 and 41%. How do they shoot it in, in this football stadium uh, tomorrow night? Uh, you know, when, when not only is the, the backdrop and uh, you know, all that very different, 
than the typical arenas that you play in. You're playing against a team that can really defend as well. And so I think how well they're uh, how well they're able to score the ball, uh, particularly early in the game, uh, will be interesting to watch. Coach Nick McDevitt, head coach of the Middle Tennessee State Blue Raiders. Uh, coach, always great having you on. Let's catch up soon. And still crazy to think that uh, normally the conference champ doesn't make a run like this. It's someone that's played very consistent throughout the season, that their last loss was in mid-February. And uh, I'm on the FAU train <laughs> now. I, I love the storyline. I've picked against them every week. Here's hoping they can keep it going and certainly continued success <laughs> for you right. and the Blue Raiders. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, there's Coach McDevitt there. Chad, he's there in Houston. Uh, John Feinstein is not. And it's by his own choosing based on the fact that he doesn't want the Final Four being played in Houston this weekend. So bear with me here for a little bit because yep. I have a lot of thoughts on yeah, this I'm story. with you. Um, so John Feinstein was a friend, was someone we had on our show for a long time. And he is a guy that I respect and admire his talent for writing. I think he's the best sports author I've ever read. I think that A Civil War about the Army-Navy football game is my favorite sports book of all time. I didn't ask John Feinstein to come on OutKick uh, as a weekly guest the way he was on our Nashville radio show. Why? Because he's very predictable. And I knew what his response would be if I asked him. It'd be hell no. And in fact... When he found out that we left for OutKick, he shoots me a text saying, well, I see why you haven't talked to me about where you went because you're with that clown Clay Travis. And basically, you know, I want nothing to do with you or anyone that ever works at OutKick. And I just gave him a thumbs up. I said, okay, great. I knew what was coming with that. And I knew exactly what was going to happen. And this is very predictable from John Feinstein to come out and say, I disagree with something, kill it. I disagree with something, let's boycott it. I disagree with something, I don't want to see it ever again. So let's remove sporting events from the state of Texas. It makes no damn sense. And this is where we are, and this is why I am furious this week. With a lot of things, in a lot of places. And it's not just the ones that you may expect when it comes to this. In the 1930s, late 1930s, early 1940s, Somehow, the United States of America was able to rally around one ideal of beating the Nazis. Everyone said, Nazis are bad. They're trying to take over the world. They're killing millions of people. Let's destroy them, and let's do it together. And guess what we did? We did it. With the help of a lot of other countries and a lot of other people, we did it. And we have a free society today, in large part because we were able to unite and do that. I lived through 9-11. I didn't live through World War II. My grandparents did. But on 9-11, I remember watching that second plane hit the tower. And I remember the weeks and months and even year after that. America united against terrorists. America united in helping their brothers and sisters. America united against terrorism and hate in all of its forms. And here we sit in 2023, in three miles down the road from where I host the show every day in studio, three innocent small children are murdered, and three educators are murdered. And we as a country cannot 
freaking unite against child murderers and just put your fist down for a second and say, let's come together over solutions to ending this problem. And if you think it isn't a problem, you have your head in the sand. And I am sick and tired of it. I am sick and tired of John Feinstein wanting to immediately point the finger and say, it's you guys. It's your problem. It's your side. It's Republicans. It's the right. And I am sick and tired of Republicans and the right saying, no, no, no. It's your side. Say that it's a trans shooter. Say that it's this. All of it sickens me. It challenges my intelligence. It challenges your intelligence. It challenges the intelligence of America. And I don't care who's doing it. But when your immediate response to children being murdered is to scream and yell at another side and say, this is because of you, or no, 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 this is because of you, or why aren't we doing this? Here's what I want to happen. I don't know what the right gun control laws are. I don't know what we need to do with mental health. I think it's all of these factors. I would like for it to be difficult, really difficult, for insane people to buy assault weapons. I know, crazy, right? Crazy stance. I would like for that to be the case. I would like for mental health to be addressed. I'd like for all these things to happen. I am sickened when John Feinstein says this. I am sickened when Madonna has a concert in Nashville and the moments after this shooting happens, she decides to donate proceeds to trans rights, not to the victims' families, not to anything else, but to trans rights. That sickens me just as much as politicians who want to pose with assault rifles with their toddlers and post them after this happens. We have got to get a grip. And this is what we are going to do on this show. I can't speak for CNN. I can't speak for MSNBC. I can't speak for ESPN. I can't speak for NBC. Hell, I can't speak for OutKick and shows on this network. I can speak for this show. And what we will do on this show is speak common sense to you. I will never challenge your intelligence. I will never speak down to you. We have got to join hands and come together and stop being morons. John Feinstein is one of them. And this is the latest example. But until we can actually have a conversation and talk about things, this will continue to happen. And guess what? When it happens again, everyone is going to go back into their corners and throw rocks at the other side. Not going to happen here. I'm not doing it because I'm not going to question your intelligence that way. And I am sickened by all of it. Chad, we, and well said, you and I spoke on the way to the show today and... I share the same sentiment. We are not going to be told what to say or what we can't say on Hot Mike, period. And Feinstein, are reading the column at the and Washington Post. by the way, Post. thanks to our bosses who have told us repeatedly, say what you want. You guys, oh, yeah. we hired you to speak your opinion. When Clay and Travis hired us, that's what Clay speak wants. your opinion. If Clay comes on this show and I want to challenge him on something, I will. Why? Well, because he's told me to do so. Right. Because Clay will embrace debate that way. And we need to have these conversations and this debate. It's what America needs. But there is no conversation. It's just a simple argument, which is BS, quite frankly. Feinstein mentions two things in the column at the Washington Post. 
that the NCAA tournament, which would have been his 40th in a row to cover in person, he's not attending based on the gun laws coming off of Uvalde. And he says, well, what they're going to do is they're going to have a moment of silence, and then it's going to be back to, you know, tip off and here we go. Moment of silence, back to basketball. Both sides this week took a moment of silence and then went to the same old BS clickbait that they've always done. It's either gun control or trans. That's all I've heard. I haven't heard anything about what happened here in Nashville and specifically what was used, not used, and why it happened and what we can do moving forward. It's been more about each side saying, call it both ways. You want it this way? Call it this way. Headline here. We're going to get a ton of clicks here. Do this because this is in our lane. That is BS. For anyone pushing that narrative, which is very repetitive. And number two that Feinstein mentions, which is true, is that the NCAA will go back to hiding under a rock and do nothing. That's exactly what is going to happen based on the arguments that I've seen on social media, on websites, on both sides, on shows, headlines on Twitter, as live links are tweeted out. Ridiculous. There's no solution there because all that matters is continuing an argument that continues to get both sides clicking on the same things instead of finding a middle ground and a solution for a bipartisan effort. There's a bipartisan effort right now in Washington to ban TikTok. And we can't be bipartisan on what is going on in our nation's schools where you have kids go to school and don't return home. And somehow that's about trans or gun control. It can't be about how do we find a solution to this. Stop pushing the narrative and start trying to find a solution instead of clicks and touting the fact that you had so many viewers on YouTube or social media. That needs to be the focus. And we're talking about Feinstein specifically because it's a column here of why he's not there. It's not going to be discussed as to why Feinstein's not there moving forward. But the two points that he brings up that I drew to, Chad, I was drawn to, was what he's saying, he's trying to push one side. It, it's both sides. Hiding under a rock, using it for clicks and for value, for monetization, for an average of people watching a certain show. And also the moment of silence and moving on. That's what we did on Monday. That's not what we're going to do, but that's what we did on Monday as a collective media group. Yeah, we And it's sickening. It, well said, Hutton. And look, we have reduced American thought to a Twitter algorithm. Oh, and, and by the way, our, the, the first segment with us discussing what had just happened in our hometown, that wasn't clipped for social. No. This needs to be. Well, it's, 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 what, I'm, it's what I'm saying right now. We have reduced American thought to a Twitter algorithm in a lot of ways. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. And I'm not pinning this on one media member or one side or no. the other. You're to blame. You're to blame. It's an a endless lot, cycle. A lot of, a it's lot of media it's is not to blame person. on this. A lot. I tweeted, after 9-11, our country was united like I've never seen in my lifetime since. Now, after tragedy, people blame the, quote, other side for that tragedy and further divide everyone. Can we all just unite against children being murdered and work on some reasonable solutions, just one time. First response I get, I got, I got a bunch, some good, some bad. 
But John responds and says, Chad, have you discussed with your boss, Clay, who is one of the most vocal voices driving this divide? I responded and said, your response is exactly the BS I'm talking about. You can't agree with the fact that we all should unite against child murder, and instead you want to point fingers to the side you disagree with with Clay. And he goes on to say, the leaders in this country aren't leading. Media members are the driving factors behind the divide. He continues to harp on the fact that this killer was trans. Most of the mass shootings in this country are carried out by biological men. How about calling for stricter gun laws? Now, I decide to entertain this tweeter. I respond and say, I believe Clay's point is that there is a concerted effort by a lot of media to ignore the fact the killer is trans, which, by the way, is true and is happening. That's a problem. Everyone knows that men are usually the culprit in mass shooting because everyone in media reports it, as they should, by the way, and as they should in this instance. So keep this in mind. I say that. He responds and says, who cares about the gender of the shooter? So someone who just told me that most culprits of mass shootings are biological men, when I respond says, who cares about the gender of the shooter? My response was, you literally just said most shooters are biological men in one tweet and followed that tweet up by saying, who cares about the gender in the next? This is an illustration of the problem. When it's not convenient for you or your ideology, you just shut it out and you don't want to hear it. We are smarter than this. People that listen to this show and watch this show, you're smarter than this. I want to talk about sports on this show. I want to get back to that. I want to have fun. We live in the toy department of life on this show. The escape. And I want to keep doing that. It's an escape from it. And if you're against the trans part of this, then call the murderer a woman. Biologically, the murderer is a woman, female. Yeah. That's That's the point. You don't have to use it for clickbait which has been done, and on both sides of this. I I speak for a lot of people, and I know that I'm not alone in this and being pretty moderate about most things. I'm sick. I'm sick this week. I'm sick that this happened again so close to us here in our studio. I'm sick when I see the just so predictable response from so many. John Feinstein, my old buddy at the top of the list and my favorite sports author. I'm just sick. And I'm tired of all of it. And I promise that when we come back, we're going to get back to the toy department of life and things we enjoy talking about because it actually brings joy to people. Button and Withrow, Hot Mike on Outkick. Chad, the New York Jets, they own the longest playoff drought. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Rodgers is saying that. The Packers aren't yet. No. The Jets own the longest playoff drought in the NFL. We knew that now at 12 years. That's the longest playoff drought of any of the four major sports in America. That's crazy. You know why? My Sacramento Kings are playoff eligible now. (laughs) Knocked them out. 12, that was that was the longest streak, but, but now that they're going to the playoffs, it's fallen to the Jets. Sanchez, McElroy, Smith, Vic, Fitzpatrick, 
Petty, McCown, Simeon, Darnold, Falk, Wilson, Mike White, Flacco. Those are the quarterbacks since the last time that we saw them in the postseason. McElroy. <laughs> it is time to get this deal done. Get Rodgers in the mix. I think we all know it's going to happen. It's a matter of when, but get it done and have your dream team in place. Will there be a 30-for-30 like they did for the Ravens on the last Jets playoff team with Mark Sanchez? They'll get them together for a reunion. This is the last time we're in the playoffs, guys. It's been a long time. I just really want the 30-for-30 on Luke Falk and his start (laughs) after Sam Darnold got hurt. Always wanted to go to the Palouse. I love Washington State. NFL headlines next, including the mega contracts headed to quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. 